Welcome and thank you for joining us today for this Bible study and reflection on February 3rd, 2021. As I have mentioned before that prior to mid-March 2020, St. Paul's Lutheran Church offered in-person Wednesday evening Bible study. Pastor Metz and I discussed the importance of offering an online version of Bible study on a weekly basis. The main audience was and still is our congregation at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Columbia, South Carolina, but because friends and family have asked to be included in the distribution, I am truly humbled that our weekly podcast now has approximately 75 listeners from our congregation as well as family and friends. For those of you that listen on a weekly basis, you now have the option to subscribe to this podcast through your podcast app on your mobile device by searching for Arthur's Bible Study forward slash reflection. I truly feel it's important to share God's Word with anyone willing to listen because I believe that when God's Word is sent out, it never returns empty. I thank each one of you from the bottom of my heart for being a part of sharing God's Word. Now let us begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Peace be with you. Let us pray. Dear God and most gracious Father in heaven, we come to you today recognizing the importance of your Word and how important it is to share it with others. We thank you for your word that was in the beginning, is now, and will be forevermore. Open our hearts and our minds to receive your word, that we may be moved by your Holy Spirit to share with others. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, let's dive right into the Bible study with a reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 22 through 32. And just to set this up, this reading occurs late in the evening, just after Jesus and his disciples had fed the 5,000 on a hillside just above the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Here is the reading. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, 
Truly, you are the Son of God. Here ends the reading. Jesus spent most of his ministry in what has been called the Evangelical Triangle, and when we visited the Holy Land in 2018, we heard it referred to as the Gospel Triangle. Please take time to do an internet search for either phrase, the Evangelical Triangle or the Gospel Triangle, and you will have a visual picture of where most of Jesus' ministry occurred. This is a small geographic area containing the area between the biblical cities of Capernaum, Chorazin, and Bethsaida. We know from Scripture that Jesus chose to make his home in Capernaum on the northwest shores of the Sea of Galilee. He seems to have made this major change in ministry location in order to fulfill Isaiah 9 verse 1, which says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You know, it's really amazing how accurately Jesus fulfilled this prophecy, although it was written over 700 years before his birth. Of course, Jesus was and is that great light that Isaiah speaks of. Also, the roadway Isaiah mentions, called the Way of the Sea, actually ran through Capernaum. It was an international highway in Jesus' time, in fact, a Roman mile marker designating this route can still be seen today in Capernaum's ruins. The prophet also mentions two Jewish tribal lands, Zebulun and Naphtali. It is of note that while Nazareth was located in the tribal area of Zebulun, the area of Capernaum fell within the ancient tribal boundaries of Naphtali. Jesus exactly fulfilled the prophet's words by spending his boyhood in Zebulun and much of his ministry in Naphtali. It is also clear in scripture that Jesus ministered along the Jordan River, which the prophet also mentions. Here's an interesting perspective that summarizes why Jesus chose to live in Capernaum. And I found this in the Faith Life Logos blog. Magnola was not the Jordan River. Nazareth was not by the Sea of Galilee. Bethsaida was not in the region of Zebulun or Naphtali. Only Capernaum met Isaiah's criteria. Jesus brought a message of grace, love, and repentance, light, if you will, to those who sat in spiritual darkness, including Matthew himself. The message resounded from quiet Capernaum. As is God's habit, Jesus chose what is small for great things. Many of the recorded miracles that Jesus performed occurred in the Galilee area. It is also an important fact that most of his disciples were from the area. All of the twelve, with the exception of Judas, came from the area. There is one ancient document that alluded to even Judas being from Galilee, but that's not certain. 
This seems to verify what the New Testament says in Acts 1.11 and 2.7, where the disciples were addressed as men of Galilee and Galileans. Now, the Sea of Galilee is really a freshwater lake in the district of Galilee. It was given various names throughout history. Sea of Chenereth, from the Hebrew word for harp-like instrument, which can be found in the book of Numbers, chapter 34, verse 11, Joshua, chapter 12, verse 3, Joshua, chapter 13, verse 27, Sea of Tiberias, which can be found in John, chapter 6, verse 1, John, chapter 21, verse 1, Lake of Genesaret in Luke, chapter 5, verse 1, and the waters of Genesaret. Elsewhere, it's referred to simply as the lake or the sea. It appears as the Sea of Galilee in Matthew. The lake is approximately 700 feet below sea level and has a maximum depth of 150 feet. The Jordan River, carrying the melted snows from Mount Hermon, enters the lake from the north and flows through its 13-mile length and continues its course after leaving the lake along the southwestern shoreline. The water surface of the lake varies according to season and the amount of rainfall. At its widest, the lake measures about 8 miles wide, and its total circumference is about 32 miles. Due to the height of the hills, which are 1,200 to 1,500 feet, surrounding the below-sea-level lake, Abrupt temperature shifts occur, causing sudden and violent storms, as we find in the New Testament. The northern end of the lake has little protection and remains subject to strong winds. Nevertheless, the natural features of climate, fertile soil, and abundance of water attracted many inhabitants from prehistoric times to the present day to settle along the shores of the lake. Some 40 species of fish inhabit the waters, and salted fish were exported widely throughout the Roman Empire. A Roman-era fishing boat was discovered in 1896 on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. On our trip to the Holy Land, we visited the museum where this fishing boat is on display. The museum is located on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. I don't know about you, but when I read the stories of the disciples fishing, I envisioned a very long and very wide and very deep boat. In actuality, the fishing boats at the time were only about 27 feet long and only seven and a half feet wide, and the sides were just about four feet deep. I don't remember any accounts in the Bible where one of the boats capsized, but they did come very close during several of the storms and when they were hauling in the big cache of fish one morning. Day two of our trip to the Holy Land was October 31st of 2018. I remember it was a beautiful morning as our group boarded the tour boat for an excursion around the north end of the Sea of Galilee. The sun was shining, there was very little breeze, and the water was calm. As recently as 1992, there were 10-foot-tall waves recorded on the Sea of Galilee. 
As our motorized boat, complete with handrails and a roof, chugged around the calm waters, I couldn't help but think what a contrast this was to the relatively small wooden boat the disciples would have been in. The tour boat we were on was about the same size as a shrimp boat you would see off the coast of South Carolina these days. This experience helped me to overlay a visual historical context to the accounts of the disciples, whether they were fishing or traveling from shore to shore during the ministry of Jesus. You don't have to visit the Holy Land to see the fury of the Sea of Galilee. A gentleman named David Sidman, S-I-D-M-A-N, posted a video on YouTube about a year ago. It's only 19 seconds long, but it gives you a great idea of the power of the wind and waves on that body of water. If you go to YouTube and search for the title, Sea of Galilee Bursting at the Seams, you'll be able to witness that power. And hopefully this will give you somewhat of a historical overlay when you read the accounts of the storm the disciples encountered that night after feeding the 5,000. I also encourage you to travel to biblical areas in the Holy Land where Jesus performed miracles as well as taught and preached. And now you might be thinking that Arthur's pretty naive thinking everybody's able to afford the time and cost of travel. You know, one of the benefits of modern technology is that we are able to travel without leaving our home. I encourage you to do an internet search for biblical sites as well as explore YouTube videos of the Holy Land. I promise the time you spend traveling on the internet will enrich your reading and studying the Word of God. It will help you grow into St. Paul's Lutheran Church's vision of learning, loving, living God's Word. Now, Jesus knew the importance of God's Word because he referred to it all the time. And he actually lived into it by fulfilling the prophecies about him. In conclusion, I'll share a quote with you that Pastor Met shared with me just this morning regarding God's Word. This quote comes from a book that includes many of Martin Luther's writings. The title is Martin Luther's Basic Theological Writings. Here's what Martin Luther had to say about the Word of God. And this quote comes from a section of his writings titled, The One Thing Needed, colon, The Word of God. And I quote, Let us then consider it certain and firmly established that the soul needs only one thing, the Word of God. When this is missing, the soul lacks the one item that is essential. Having the Word of God makes the soul rich. For what else could it possibly need? The Word of God brings life, truth, light, peace, righteousness, salvation, joy, liberty, wisdom, power, grace, glory, and every other blessing imaginable imaginable, end quote. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, most gracious God, as we marvel at the words of your prophet spoken 700 years before the birth of your son Jesus, we thank you for those prophecies, as well as the fulfillment Jesus brought to them. Instill in us a love for your word that grows and grows and eventually overflows to others. 
We lift up this prayer in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Go in peace and share the good news.